0: And that was Fröhling from The the Lieder by Richard Schaus as sung by Jesse Norman with the Gewandhaus Orchester Leipzig conducted by Kurt Mazur. A very warm welcome from me, Adrian Fuchs, on this rather cold and very windy Friday evening, the 16th of January 2009. In tonight's edition of Great Interpreters, we feature renowned soprano Jesse Norman. I invite you to join me for the next two hours as we explore the life, career and artistry of this remarkable singer. Nicknamed Just Enormous, not only because of the sheer size and luster of her sumptuous voice, but also her imposing physical presence, American soprano Jessie Norman is regarded as one of the most renowned and celebrated singers of our time. Her voice, simply by its sheer power, is remarkable, while the opulence, velvety, seductive and creamy richness of her vocal timbre, the direct and emotionally expressive qualities of her singing, as well as her formidable intellectual understanding of the music that she interprets, has made her a true vocal phenomenon. Art, on nature's scale, at once grand and intimate, is our one critic summed Norman. A true diva, both in the positive and negative sense of the word, she is known for her magnetic and dramatic personality, a force all her own, one of those once-in-a-generation singers who is not simply following in the footsteps of others, but is staking out her own niche, in the history of singing. Jessie Norman was born into a musical family on the 15th of September, 1945, in Augusta, Georgia. Her mother, a school teacher and amateur pianist, saw that all the children in the family took piano lessons from an early age, while her father, a successful insurance broker, was also a frequent singer in the family's local Baptist church. Though her upbringing was very strict, both parents encouraged Jesse musically, and she began singing in church choirs at an age of four.
1: If you came in with your report card from school, with A's and then one B, then the question was, why didn't you get an A in sociology as well, or whatever? And one needed to give an explanation. And one was taught to be a part of the community, as well as trying to be a, a, a good person, all
2: sounds
0: terribly old-fashioned, doesn't it? As a young girl, Norman loved singing and apart from church, performed wherever she had the opportunity, in school, at Girl Scout meetings, even at a supermarket opening. Yet she never formally studied voice until college. Norman's first exposure to opera came in the form of a Metropolitan Opera radio broadcast. I was nine and didn't know what was going on, but I just loved it, she told Vanity Fair magazine. She soon mastered her first aria, Mon Coeur C'est Vrai à Devoir, in its English translation from St. Sans's Samson and Delilah. Norman's first step toward a singing career, taken at the suggestion of her high school chorus teacher, was to enter the Marian Anderson Vocal Competition in Philadelphia at age 16. Although most of the participants were much older and she failed to win, Norman received positive comments from the judges. On her return trip to Georgia, she visited the music department of Howard University, a prestigious school founded for African Americans in Washington, D.C. There, Norman sang for Carolyn Grant, who would later become her vocal coach. After hearing Norman's voice, Grant recommended the budding soprano for a full scholarship to attend the university when she came of age. Norman graduated from Howard University with honors in 1967, and went on to complete a summer of postgraduate study at the Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore, followed by her master's degree at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. While at Michigan, Norman worked with two renowned voice teachers, French baritone Pierre Bernac, a famous exponent of the art song, as well as with Elizabeth Manion. In 1968, Norman entered the international music competition of the German Broadcasting Corporation in Munich, Germany, where she took first prize. Subsequently, she received offers to perform and work in Europe and moved abroad in 1969, following the path of many American singers who began their careers in the celebrated concert and opera halls of Europe.
3: Part of the jesse norman mythology is that those europeans discovered an american star that we on this side of the atlantic didn't know about is that true
1: well it's rather true in that i did begin my career in europe a lot of people unfortunately still um sort of wonder when i'm coming to america to sing as it were instead of realizing that i've been singing in america for six months out of the year for about 15 years And that it's only that I used to live in Berlin and I have a pied-à-terre still in London and I still am very attached to Europe, but after all, I am an American.
0: (laughs) Norman enjoyed rapid success in Europe. In December of 1969, she signed a three-year contract with the Venerable Deutsche Oper in West Berlin and was a sensation at her debut, at the age of 23, as Elizabeth in Wagner's Tannhäuser a now legendary series of performances that place the music world at the young Americans' feet. Here is Dich Teure Halle from Act 2 of Wagner Tannhäuser. From Act Two of Wagner's Tannhäuser, has sung by Jesse Norman with the London Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Klaus Tenstedt, and this recording from 1987. Norman continued to perform other roles with the company of the Deutsche Oper, in addition to numerous offers to sing concerts and operas throughout Europe. She caused a sensation with European critics, who at the time described hers as the greatest voice since the German soprano Lotte Lehmann. In 1970, she made her Italian debut in Florence in Handel's De Bora, and the following year, her busy opera schedule included performances in Mozart's Ed Domineo in Rome, Le L'Africaine in Florence, and Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro at the Berlin Festival. In 1971, Norman auditioned for and won the opportunity to sing the role of the Countess in a Phillips recording of Le Nozze di Figaro with the BBC Orchestra under the direction of Sir Colin Davis. The recording was a finalist for the prestigious Montreux International Record competition and brought Norman much exposure to music listeners in Europe and in the United States. In 1972, Norman performed in a Berlin production of Verdi's Aida, a role in which she debuted later that year at the famed Italian opera house of La Scala in Milan. That same year, she sang in a concert version of Aida at the Hollywood Bowl in California. Norman's times of 1972 continued when she returned to Europe in the fall and debuted at the Royal Opera House Covent Garden as Cassandra in Orse's Les Troyens*. She also made her debut at the prestigious Edinburgh Music Festival. As a result of these accomplishments, much acclaim and excitement awaited her first ever New York City recital the following year, when she appeared as part of the Great Performers Series at Alice Tully Hall in Lincoln Center. Norman's performance, which included songs by Wagner, Strauss, Brahms and Satie, was hailed by Donald Hennehan in the New York Times as one of extraordinary intelligence, taste and emotional depth. In the mid-1970s, Norman moved to London and made the decision to stop performing operas temporarily and to concentrate on concert performances, her preferred performance medium and one that she feels is more personal. Although she maintained that the reason for her withdrawal from the opera stage was that she needed to fully develop her voice and vocal range, others have spoken of a personal crisis that she underwent regarding her weight and stage image.
3: You have very carefully guarded a part of your professional life for other than opera, for concerts Mm -hmm. and recitals. Mm -hmm. Why is that important?
1: Oh, I like very much the immediate contact that I can have with an audience when I'm singing a concert with orchestra or a recital. Because you see, when I'm on stage in the opera, the house is dark. And because of my extreme nearsightedness, it is virtually impossible to see anyone. Ain't nobody out there. The, um, <laughs> you, I keep I want to ask, is there anybody there? Yeah. Because I can't see anyone. I love to be able to look uh, practically into the eyes of the person to whom I'm singing. And I, I just have a much more personal experience very often when I'm singing songs.
0: Norman's I from the opera stage lasted approximately five years. By 1980, however, her remarkable voice, which seemed equally comfortable as both a contralto or a dramatic soprano, was fully settled, firmly in place, under complete control, and according to Peter Davis in his treatise The American Opera Singer, ready for anything. The next extract that I would like to play to you is a small sampling of Norman's Zeglinde. This particular extract is from Act 3, Scene 1 of Die Walküre from the Complete Ring Cycle, conducted by James Levine and recorded in 1987. extract Nicht Zere Dich Sorge um mich from Act 3, Scene 1 of Wagner's Die Walküre, with Jesse Norman as Sieglinde and also with Hildegard Perens as Brunhilde. The conductor was James Levine and the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra was responsible for the playing in this recording from 1987. Norman is most often referred to as a dramatic soprano, but unlike most dramatic sopranos, she has become best known for roles more traditionally sung by other types of voices, as for my voice, it cannot be categorized, she once stated in an interview in the New York Times, and I like it that way, because I sing things that would be considered in the dramatic, mezzo, or spinto range. I like so many different kinds of music that I've never allowed myself the limitations of one particular range. Pigeonholing," she once noted on another occasion, is only interesting to pigeons.
3: Talk about music for a moment i uh, particularly interested in your range, which is an immense one, and the fact that you can sing soprano and you can dip into contralto, mm. and the question that confronts both you and your conductors about where to place Jesse Norman, the combination of range and
2: power
1: Well, it rather depends. A lot of um, conductors prefer that I sing a certain kind of repertoire and then some other other things, but then I generally sort of choose myself what exactly I'd like to do. And it rather um, depends, I think, particularly for conductors, what kind of sound they have in their ears for a particular role. A lot of uh, conductors like very bright and and very... um, um, sort of forward singing, That's, that for them is, is the kind of thing that they would call a soprano and a voice that is naturally darker automatically in their ear, they call that voice a mezzo soprano.
3: This has nothing to do with exactly where the notes are. No,
1: no, no. It has it... to do with rather color of the voice for a lot of a lot of conductors particularly. Mm.
3: Can you control that? Can a singer change from a dark to a light tone? Can you sing forward?
1: Well, I can certainly uh, change the character of my voice in certain ways, but my basic voice is my voice. And however brightly I might sing, my voice is still um, a darker um, sound because that is, that is what it is naturally. So no matter what I might do to it, it still remains very basically what, what it is.
0: Some vocal critics assert that Norman is not a dramatic soprano but has in fact a rare soprano voice type known as a falcon. The falcon voice is an intermediate voice type between the soprano and the mezzo-soprano that is similar to the dramatic soprano but more opulent and vibrant with a darker coloration. Let's listen now to Norman's rendition of Brunhilde's Immolation, the finale to Wagner's goethe Demerung, and indeed the final scene of his majestic Ring Tetralogy. The orchestra of the London Philharmonic is conducted by Klaus Tenstedt in this 1987 recording. to Wagner's Goethe-Demmerung with Jesse Norman as Brunhilde and the London Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Klaus Tennstedt, The esteemed critic John Steen feels that Norman belongs to what he terms the soprano-mezzo category. He wrote, Norman answers all the vocal requirements of the soprano role she undertakes. As Strauss's Ariadne, she gives a glowing account of the music, arousing no anxieties about range or tessitura, Earlier in her career, she established herself in the affections of record collectors by her performance of Weber's Yoriante, the voice unequivocally that of a soprano, with a quality which in the search for similes brings about the word cream. Her recordings furthermore include an account of Brunhilde's Immolation, which we've just listened to, where there is no skimping of the high notes so clearly exposed. But there is also no doubt about the mezzo admixture. It is an essential feature of the Norman tone. A source of richness, roundness, and depth. Going with it is a liking for roles and music which make use of this, and a willingness to sing, for instance, as an alto soloist, for example, in the St. Matthew's Passion. Let's listen now to Dido's Lament, When I Am Laid in Earth, from Purcell's Dido and Aeneas. When I am Lady in Earth from Purcell's Dido and Aeneas, with Jesse Norman as Dido, and the conductor was Raymond Lepard, who conducted the English Chamber Orchestra. Norman's singing reveals uncommon refinement of nuance and dynamic variety, and in particular, the distinguishing ability to project drama through the voice. Over the years, her technical expertise had been among her most critically praised attributes. In a review of one of her recitals at New York City's Carnegie Hall, New York Times contributor Alan Hughes wrote that Norman has one of the most opulent voices before the public today and, as discriminating listeners are aware, her performances are backed by extraordinary preparation, both musical and otherwise. Another Carnegie Hall appearance prompted New York Times contributor Bernard Holland to write, If one added up all the things that Jesse Norman does well as a singer... The total would assuredly exceed that of any other soprano before the public. At Miss Norman's recital, tones were produced, colors manipulated, words projected, and interpretive points made, all with fanatic finesse. The greatness of music speaks for itself when Jessie Norman sings, wrote Octavia Rocha in the Washington Post after one of her early Kennedy Center recitals. That same critic would later reflect, in the Washington Times, how listening to Jessie Norman find her way into a song is like watching in wonder as a beautiful morning reaches the climax of noon. Warmth and blinding light are everywhere in her voice. That same formidable voice was described by Edward Rothstein in the New York Times as a grand mansion of sound. It defines an extraordinary space. It has enormous dimensions, reaching backward and upward. It opens unto unexpected vistas, It contains sunlit rooms, narrow passageways and cavernous falls. Jesse Norman there singing Vidmung by Robert Schumann, and the pianist was Geoffrey Parsons. In a New York Times interview, Norman discussed the reverence with which she approaches her work. To galvanise myself into a performance, I must be left totally alone, she said. I must have solitude in order to concentrate, which I consider a form of prayer. I work very much from the text. The words must be understood, felt, and communicated. If you look carefully at the words and absorb them, you're halfway home already. The rest is down to honesty. Honesty of feeling, honesty of involvement. If a performer is truly committed, then the audience will be the first to know and will respond accordingly. Of course, love is the thing that propels us all. It's what carries us along. That's the fuel.
4: As someone who came from such a warm and loving and supportive family, you chosen to to remain single,
1: Mm -hmm. why? But that doesn't mean I'm lonely.
4: No, it doesn't. That just
1: means that I'm not married.
4: Is it because the likelihood that any mere man would just be a weakling in your presence?
1: Well, I could never be in love with just a mere man.
0: Norman returned to opera in 1980, in a performance of Strauss's Ariadne auf Naxos in Hamburg, Germany, and in October 1983 made her long-awaited Metropolitan Opera debut in the opening night of its gala centennial season as Cassandra in Berlioz's Les Troyens. Norman shunned among the star-studded cast, as the New York Times' Hennehan wrote in his review, Miss Norman is a soprano of magnificent presence who commanded the stage at every moment, he declared. As the distraught Cassandra, she sang grippingly and projects well, even when placed well back in the cavernous sets. Met audiences were privileged to later also hear Norman as Dido in Troyens on two further occasions, and then she sang both roles in the same evening. Here is a live recording of the Aria Malheureux roi from Balleos Les Troyens, recorded in October 1983 on the occasion of Norman's Met debut. James Levine conducts the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. The aria Malheureux Roy from Berlioz's La Troyens*, recorded on the occasion of Norman's Met debut. James Levine conducted the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra in its live recording from October 1983. Of the many real-life stories associated with Jessie Norman, one of the more interesting concerns Alain, the obsessed French fan who would travel by third-class rail across Europe to see her perform. So devoted an admirer was the Paris Telegraph Boy that the filmmaker Jean-Jacques Beignet loosely based the 1981 film Diva on his life. Instead of seeing him as a stalker, as some celebrities might, Norman embraced his support, forming a deep platonic performer-fan relationship. She once even described Elaine as an important figure in her life. He was one of those people you thought about on a concert day when you were not sure how you were going to be able to get out of bed, much less perform, you were feeling too unwell, Norman told the Associated Press in a tribute shortly after his death. But you thought, Elaine was going to be there, and so I'm going to make an effort.
3: Jesse, you know, one of the movies that I keep looking at again and again, because I get refreshed by it all the time, is Diva, the story of a a Paris Telegraph boy who becomes so bewitched by an opera singer that he steals a recording of her voice and steals her dress and Mm. unleashes a whole thriller. I am told that there was such an opera singer and such a
1: Telegraph Boy. Yes, well, the opera singer is still around. I'm afraid we lost the Telegraph Boy. He unfortunately died, but he did exist, and he was very ardent. And how he ever afforded to come to the number of performances just of mine that he attended, I shall never know, because he certainly made no money doing that kind of job.
3: Did you ever meet him?
1: Yes, I did. I knew him very well. Oh, he was a great friend.
3: Did he ever steal your dress? Or no, he did No, That's he only brought me
1: flowers.
0: Although Norman has had great success performing in full-scale opera productions, her formidable physical stature has somewhat limited her choice of stage roles, and she has increasingly directed her opera singing to condensed concert versions. A standard in her concert repertoire has become Isolde's Liebestod, literally translated as Love Death, the finale from Wagner's Tristan und Isolde. In 1989, Norman's performance of the Liebestod with the New York Philharmonic at its season opening concert prompted the New York Times critic Donald Henahan to write: "Although she has never sung the complete role on any stage, she has handled this fearsome 10-minute challenge with increasing vocal authority and dramatic insight. Hers is a grandly robust voice, used with great intelligence and expression." Here is Jesse Norman singing Isolde's Liebestod. Isolde's Liebestod, Mild und Leise, wie er lächelt, from Act 3 of Tristan und Isolde by Richard Wagner. And that, of course, was Jessie Norman with Klaus Tenstedt conducting the London Philharmonic Orchestra in that 1987 recording. As far as her choice of repertoire was concerned... Norman consistently followed her own instincts and interests more than the advice of her teachers or the requests of opera houses in seeking out musical works that she felt were most suited to her vocal skills. This tendency very often put her at odds with artistic managers and opera house management. According to Peter Davis, Norman's choice of roles would certainly always showcase her as the centrepiece of a genuine occasion – her diverse choice of repertoire included such lesser-known works as Rameau's Fedre, Gluck's Alceste, Janacek's The Macropolis Case, Poulenc's one-act opera La Voix Min*, and even a one-woman theatre piece conceived by avant-garde director Robert Wilson called Great Day in the Morning, based on Norman's repertory of spirituals. Other of Norman's diverse projects have included her 1984 album With a Song in My Heart, which contains numbers from films and musical comedies and a 1990 performance of American Spirituals with soprano Kathleen Battle at Carnegie Hall. Norman commented to William Livingston in Stereo Review that one of her objectives as a performer is to communicate, to be understood in many ways and on many levels. When the French sought a singer to perform their national anthem at the country's bicentennial celebration in Paris in 1989, they didn't turn to one of their own to do the honours, they asked Norman... It makes you feel really good, she later noted, that people at home think you are worth their interest, but it's incredible to be so warmly received in a foreign country. I love watching the faces of the people who are listening as I sing these songs, and I know that they understand. Norman returned to Atlanta in 1996 to open the Olympic Games. A year later, she performed at Bill Clinton's second presidential inauguration, And when the Kennedy family needed a singer to help memorialize Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis at her funeral, they asked Norman. Let's listen now to Jesse Norman performing Elizabeth's Prayer from Act 3 of Wagner's Tannhäuser. Jesse Norman there singing Elizabeth's Prayer from Act 3 of Wagner's Tannhäuser, and Klaus Tenstedt conducted the London Philharmonic Orchestra. As the 1990s unfolded, Norman's popularity never faltered. Her 1993 Metropolitan Opera House performance of Ariadne and Strauss's Ariadne auf Naxos led Shirley Fleming to write, She rode the surging contours of Strauss's luxuriant vocal line with all the power and lustre for which she is famous. Norman captured the grief and joy in seamless streams of rich vocalism. Here is Es gibt ein Reich from Richard Strauss's Ariadne auf Naxos. Es gibt ein Reich from the opera Ariadne auf Naxos by Richard Strauss. And that was of course Jesse Norman there singing the role of Ariadne with Kurt Mazur conducting the Gewandhaus Orchester Leipzig in that 1988 recording. Norman's efforts during the 1990s nonetheless incited some displeasure among stagnant critics, in particular regarding her selection of roles. Ironically, Among the most harshly criticised was her long-awaited 1993 recording of Zalome, featuring C.J. Ozawa and the Dresden State Orchestra, which was held back and only released five years later on the Philips label. Norman had often been accused of being an old-fashioned, ego-driven diva during her career, and many felt that her diva persona was beginning to dominate, even obliterate, the music. As the years passed, Norman's grandezza Increased alarmingly until even her most ardent fans were put off by a performing persona that eventually degenerated into empty pretentiousness and posturing, Peter Davis noted. Her performances became ego trips, almost religious rites, with Norman as the officiating high priestess. When encountered off stage, she also seemed like a diva descended from another planet couching her conversation in what was variously interpreted as an outrageously affected British pronunciation. The critic's legitimate question, asked one interviewer, finally exasperated after wondering what to make of an increasingly unreal creature, is whether the artifice necessary to sustain the outer shell will also lock up the characters a great artist must develop on stage.
4: Somewhere along the way, you stopped being the kid from Augusta and became a full-fledged diva.
1: <laughs> what does that mean?
4: <laughs> well will you tell me what it means?
1: It isn't always, and I must point out, a compliment to be called the diva. That's right. No. It's often not a compliment. Often not a compliment. It suggests? Someone who's a bit sort of difficult to be around and who's a little bit too demanding and just sort of a little bit sort of... A little bit selfish, yeah. But of course, those things don't apply to me.
4: Grander than life?
1: Grander than life, I don't know. Maybe that applies to me.
4: Excessive?
1: Excessive, yes. I admit it, yes.
4: So you're, you're all of those things. You're a diva. Well,
1: I'm some of those things. I'm not all of them. I'm the good part.
0: In recent years, Norman has musically branched out beyond opera, performing the sacred music of jazz great Duke Ellington and recording a jazz album entitled I Was Born In Love With You, with French composer Michael Legrand in 2000. The work demonstrated Norman's agility as a singer, and critics lapped it up. She doesn't really swing, and the music is more high-class slushy cabaret chanson than jazz as such, but it's a fine album all the same and a perfect high-camp soundtrack, a critic for The Independent wrote. Norman has said that she was always a fan of jazz. I think I have grown into it, she said. I'm really happy to do it, and I'm going to do more of it. It was a rare honour for Norman in February and March of 2001 when she was featured at Carnegie Hall in a three-part concert series. With James Levine on piano, the concerts were a significant arts event, complete with an 80-page programme booklet featuring a newly commissioned watercolour portrait of Norman by David Hockney. On March 11, 2002, Norman was given the honour of performing America the Beautiful, at a memorial service unveiling two monumental columns of light at the site of the former World Trade Center as a memorial for the victims of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks in New York City. One of my favourite compositions by Wagner is certainly the first lied from his Wiesendonk Lieder, entitled Der Engel. Here is Jesse Norman's performance of this leit, recorded in 1975 with Sir Colin Davis conducting the London Symphony Orchestra. Engel from Wagner's Wiesendonk Lieder and Sir Colin Davis conducted the London Symphony Orchestra in this 1975 recording uh, by Jessie Norman. For her contributions to music, Norman has received the greatest of honours. She has received more than 30 honorary doctoral degrees from educational institutions and universities around the world, including Juilliard, Harvard, and Yale. The French not only named an orchid after her, but bestowed upon her the title Commander of the Order of Arts and Letters and followed this by awarding her the Legion of Honour. She has served as an honorary ambassador for the United Nations and has been the recipient of the Kennedy Center Honours, the highest cultural award given in the United States. Most of Norman's nearly 70 albums have been recorded on the Phillips label. She has won a Grammy Award, a German Phono Award, and London's prestigious Gramophone Award, among other honours. In 2006, she receives the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award.
4: Spirituals, the songs, the church songs of your childhood, yes. you still sing them. Oh, great yes, appeal.
1: absolutely everybody loves them everybody in whatever country it doesn't matter what the native tongue of my audience is they've heard the spirituals before and they want to hear them again and they want to hear them out of a black mouth
2: (laughs)
4: different just you know when you're singing that music
1: maybe this is a part of me in a way that no matter how much i might study the culture in austria or germany that is not my heritage there is more memory inside of me for the spiritual than perhaps most of the European music that I sing because this music was sung by my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother and all of these other people that have made me.
0: got the whole world in his hands there in a live performance from 1988 by jesse norman the pianist was jeffrey parsons norman is also a tireless helper and fundraiser for charities most especially the girl scouts and groups working with children who have aids so much so in fact that at one point she jokingly referred to singing as her night job several years back she was named an honorary lifetime member of the girl scouts Ever since, she has been a tireless cookie saleswoman for the group, peddling thin mints, peanut butter sandwiches and shortbread cookies from the back of her chauffeured car. During a good year, Norman and her staff are said to sell as many as 2,000 boxes. I get the chip bunk and the stuffed bear and the patch and everything, just like the 10-year-olds, Norman recently told an interviewer. I'll sell cookies to anybody, anywhere, on the street, from the back of my car, you name it. In attempting to describe the impact Norman has made on the music world, a Washington Post critic once wrote, There's nobody like her, never was and probably never will be. In trying to describe Norman's artistry, a critic inevitably finds himself falling into the lamest of clichés. Oceanic power, force of nature, larger-than-life presence, and so on. But in Norman's case, all of the clichés ring true. This gigantic woman... With a gigantic voice is one of a kind. Posterity will envy us for having her in our midst. Norman said not too long ago that she simply would like it to be that it made a difference to some people that she came and went, that she was here. Looking back on a long and distinguished career, one can certainly say that Jessie Norman has made a difference to anyone who loves music, and indeed it matters quite a lot that she is here. I'd like to end off tonight's programme with September from Richard Strauss's us The Lieder. But before I do, a special thank you to David Leit and Barry Collins for providing me with some of the recordings played in tonight's programme. From me, Adrian Fuchs, till next time, keep well and good night.